Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. Apologies for the slightly late start if you are listening to us live. I am Nicholas Lorimer, your host, and today I'm joined by Mr. Michael Morris. Michael, how are you? I'm very well, thank you, Nick. Uh, nice to be with you, Beth. Very good to have you with us. Uh, Mr. Herman Pretorius, Herman, how are you? I'm sure Pretorius is I'm, I'm well. Now. I'm well. It's, it's, yeah, it's a beautiful day. We have, what is there to complain about? except everything about, except the weather. I mean, it's, it's you know. <laughs> uh, I, 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 there was actually a story we considered doing today, but haven't done um, about the, the rugby game on the weekend. Um, but just to say that uh, if we win or lose by one point in the final, I think I may have uh, a cardiac episode because it's, <laughs> it's just a bit much. Yeah. Um, as someone on Twitter said, uh, you know, to watch, to watch the Rugby World Cup, South Africa player, you have to have medical aid. Uh, but... <laughs> or, or, or the NHI. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> that'll, that'll finish us all. Mm. Um, <laughs> let yeah. us get on to the first story for today, and this is mm. about the city of Joburg's council sitting. So city of Joburg's been uh, lots in the news. It's had all sorts of drama in its council sittings. And a story that keeps coming up again and again is how much each of these individual council sittings cost. The, uh, the, the DA has, has uh, claimed that a single sitting of the Johannesburg City Council can cost 600,000 rand, uh, with the majority of that cost going towards catering. Uh, the speaker, Colin Mokibule, uh, uh, Colleen, sorry, Mokibule, uh, disputes this. She says, no, 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 it's more like 400,000 rand per sitting. Um, as you know, if you've listened to the show on Friday, uh, the city of Joburg is not the greatest financial position. It is having difficulty paying various service providers, including its debt collectors. Uh, and if you, so, so Joburg has the most councillors of any city in the country uh, because it's the biggest. It's got 270 councillors. Um, then you've got a place like the city of Cape Town, which spends about 300,000 Rand uh, per council sitting for its 231 councillors. They don't cater. Um, the, the city of Tswane doesn't cater for its councillors. And so it's not entirely clear why the councillors need catering. Now, this is going to make me unpopular with my former colleagues. I was a city councillor in uh, in the city of Johannesburg. So I actually do know what the catering is like. And, it, and those sessions are very long. And so it is a sort of welcome respite. Although I suspect that one can, uh, you know, as, as we did, we would sometimes go out and eat somewhere else because the canteen would get uh, very crowded. But... What's kind of crazy is how <laughs> the food, you, you, you think, you know, 400,000, 600,000, whatever the, the bill is for the food. And then you're expecting something kind of lavish, but actually it's really not that great. We're talking like yeah. kind of cheap rice and stews and not very good chicken. And it's all just a bit kind of disappointing canteen food. So, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if someone is, shall we say, not getting the most economic rate. Um, you know, considering how much corruption there is in procurement generally, that would not particularly surprise me. Um, uh, Mgeni mun local municipality, which is the only municipality run by the DA in, in KZN, only, uh, I think, has spent 15,000 rand in total this year uh, on their council sittings. Now, they only have 25 councillors, but they uh, use this basically a little, uh, a little sound system, and that's about it, uh, and, and give bottled water to everyone, which is, you know, Probably a good idea. Uh, another little caveat from from all this catering stuff going on in Joburg is apparently there was a Joburg council meeting, which was 
postponed um, or at least delayed for a couple of hours because apparently the EFF was told that the EFF told the speaker that no, we're not coming. We have uh, we're having breakfast right now, um, even though the meetings start at ten traditionally in the in the morning. So, <laughs> Michael, let me start with you. It's just kind of like it's it's like the perfect example of of the sort of out of touch, wasteful expenditure. Uh, but but at the same time, there's this element of like like I said, the food quality isn't even that good. What do you make of the story? Mm, I mean, all the, all those things. Um, I, just just a brief observation before we begin to to, to look at the, at the detail of the, this particular story. I, I think all South Africans are suddenly realizing, or well, perhaps not so suddenly, but certainly this year realize just how the cost of living is really hitting our pockets and that food is really expensive but having said that if you look at this um at this news 24 story uh, the former speaker calculates that catering costs working out to 800 rand per person now you know that's a <laughs> you go to a really good restaurant you'd get a, a slap up meal for 800 rand per person um it's just it's just astonishing that, um, particularly, I think, in a city um, that is not covering itself in glory, um, that has so many problems, that has, uh, you know, very significant uh, poverty burden um, and a deficit of investment in really important stuff, water, electricity, and all the rest of it, street signs, street cleaning, and, and you know, clearing, making sure that its own buildings are safe and, and not going to roast people inside them. Uh, it's just astonishing that um, there isn't just a sense that perhaps this is something that spending that really ought to be cut right down to the bare minimum. And to follow it, the uh, the Mgeni example, perhaps you know bottled water and and uh, and uh, you know perhaps sandwich dispensers that people can get their own sandwiches from. Yeah, so it is quite shocking. I think. I mean, you know, councillors don't earn like a bad salary in the city of Joburg councils and sort of 30, 30 grand. You can, mm. 30 grand a month after tax. You can you can get your own lunch on that. Yeah. Um, and it's not like you're in the middle of nowhere. You know, you are in, in, in Bromwich. Mm. Um, there are quite a few places to eat. Uh, Herman, what do you make of all this? Well, I must say, oh, I'm oh you're going to hate me for this, but I can't resist. <laughs> um, I think this is cater deployment gone wrong. Uh, okay, there you go. There you go. Got it out of my system. Got it out of my system. No, um, you know what? The, this this made me think. I, I think we just lost half our audience, um, so we're now down to two people. No, um, I think the the um, it made me think of this example of Mitt Romney when um, he came in to to save the the what's it Salt Lake City Winter Olympics in about 2003-ish, 2006-ish, thereabout, um, it, it was massively in debt. The whole effort was in debt. He was recruited from Bain Capital to come in as a turnaround specialist and, and save the Winter Olympics. And it turned out to be the first Winter Olympics to actually make a profit. And one of the measures that he took was at the meetings of the organizing board, he would purchase pizza from the budget of the um the olympic budget but then everyone who wanted a slice of pizza would have to pay one dollar for the slice of pizza 
And because they would the, 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 they would be what twelve slices, and the pizza would only cost seven dollars, he would the the committee the the the, the whole initiative would make five dollars in profit. Every meat, every pizza sold <laughs> during the meetings or consumed during the meetings of the organizing committee, and it reminds me of of him just saying, you know, look after the small, look after the cents, and the dollars look after themselves. If you're in a city where streets are literally exploding due to bad infrastructure management, to yeah. where you have billions of rands worth of infrastructure damage. Uh, bad municipal office buildings, you know, perhaps, perhaps cut down on the catering budget. Perhaps that's the one thing that you should decide that, you know, this isn't the, the, the best place for, for the money to go. We have cities, we have our cities falling apart. But the, what's worse is this also puts pay to the argument that we see so often from our friends on the left is the idea that more money thrown at something makes it better. I've seen the catering Nick refers to. I mean, it's really awful, actually. Mm. Um, I've, 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 I've been to, 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 to school hostel lunches. With oh, come, on, come on, come on, come on. Soggy green beans and tastic rice are the height of culinary experience. <laughs> yeah, I mean, especially if they're not green to start with. It's it's sort of mm -hmm. they 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 just progress throughout the meal to become something uh, culinarily <laughs> interesting, you know, like like a Heston Blumenthal pudding. But the, the the point is that it is so stupid, so wasteful, so out of touch, and so symbolic of the idea that massive amounts of money must mean value or something in some way. And hopefully we get to the ANC NEC economic discussion where there's this idea of more intervention, more spending to get the economy back on track. My goodness, spending can't even get lunch back on track. <laughs> Very well yeah. said. Uh, Michael, yes. any, any final thoughts on this uh, before we move on? Yeah, I mean, nothing really to add, just to, uh, other than to, to, uh, to uh, enthusiastically endorse all, all those points. Um, you know, we, we really need to take spending seriously. It's, it's as literally as simple as that. If you want to save money, if you want to cut back on things, you want to be able to have money available to spend on what's important, you, you've really got to make these difficult choices. It's not that hard, as, as, as Herman's uh, illustration shows. Yeah. Important so we spent what is it 200 rand per person on every single councillor um that would be like fifty four thousand rand or something exactly <laughs> two, two to cater for everyone and i'm sure uh, that's, cater yeah i mean caterers out there who would yeah they jump at, at you know delivering a really wholesome uh meal for the two, two for 200 rand a person you know i think yeah Exactly. Mm. Anyway, absolute madness. Uh, let us move on to our next story. And this is about following up on that horrific case where members of uh, what appeared mm. to be Paul Mashatile's VIP protection unit beat people on the side of the road um, on camera for we can't seem to tell what the reason was. Doesn't look like there was any urgent danger, despite their claims that uh, they were protecting the deputy president. Uh, apparently, the eight men accused of being involved in this are back at work. Now, the police have said that this is normal disciplinary procedure and that if a disciplinary inquiry it takes longer than 60 days to finish, 
uh, they uh, they automatically lift the suspension. Um, however, they have decided that until the disciplinary process is concluded, um, the uh, the men will not be out on the streets. They will be confined to the office. I'm not really sure how a VIP protection officer, what they do in the office. But uh, anyway, um, the men are also at the same time facing 12 charges, including pointing a firearm, reckless and negligent driving, malicious damage to property, assault with intent to call cause grievous bodily harm, obstruction of justice, and assault by way of threat, uh, and are currently out on bail for 10,000 rand each. Um, Michael, you, you had some comments about this before the show, that there's just, you know, it's been more than, as as as, as the as has just been said, it's been more than 60 days since these guys were suspended. Mm. This was an outrageous event, um, which has already got serious criminal charges against all the people involved. And yet, you know, disciplinary process isn't wrapped up. I mean, there's footage of the event. There's the statements they've taken from the guys. What more do they need to do? Yeah. And it's, yeah, there's complete lack of seriousness about it. Um, it's, uh, the, the tragedy is that it, 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 that sentiment permeates throughout not just the civil service, but but the society. Everybody begins to get the sense that you can actually do the most awful things, be seen to be doing it, and you'll and there'll be no consequences. I think it it, it contributes fatally to that to that uh, spirit, which is a spirit is quite the wrong word. That idea that 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 works like a rot um, in in our society, certainly in our civil service, where accountability is one of the key things um, in all the most important areas of of of, of state activity, health, policing, education. Um, we want people to have a much much uh, acuter sense of being accountable, being, being held accountable. There being consequences for any uh, uh, step out of line. Um, and uh, and until we do that, until we can get that kind of uh, ethos in our in our public service, we are going to continue to to drift down the road uh, towards decline and 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 failed state uh, status. So it is something very important. Um, it, it's shocking that uh, that we haven't heard anything more from the, from the the government itself, the departments involved. Um, I think also that um, it, it, the action action society is actually the the, the organisation that's really driving the, the the pressure on the government on this one. Um, that, that too, you know, we we're having to rely on civil society to do the job of the people who are meant to uphold the law and to, and to sustain this this idea of the rule of law in our society. Uh, and it just is absent, and that that really is a, sh a shocking thing. So it's very good that um, the media, at least, is keeping a close eye on this, asking the questions, um, writing about it all the time. This is this is absolutely what we have to do: is just keep the attention on this, and not um, and not let anyone get away with it. So, Haman, you have a bit of legal knowledge, and I appreciate that mm -hmm. when you are following through processes. Um, that it's important not to rush them because it can compromise the process and then you can let people who don't deserve to be let off, you you can cause their case sort of to be thrown out. But the uh, this doesn't seem like a particularly complicated uh, situation. Um, I, I can't think of, you know, perhaps you, you, you can think of one because you know more about the law than I do, but uh, I can't think of a reason why 60 days is not really enough to wrap up this egregious case. 
yeah, no, it is um, bizarre that you not only do you have eyewitnesses, not only do you have the victims uh, willing to give the information about the assault on them, you also have it on film. It is it, the, the the idea of a prima facie case being, uh, you know, bullable here is 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 so obvious. It is the the, the I, I cannot imagine what the delay here is. I cannot imagine what it took 60 days to at least charge them discipline, uh, disciplinarily. And um, if there is something that took them 60 days to delay um, this procedure, perhaps uh, the police or either could be bold enough and kind enough to the rest of the South African public who might get punched in future to tell us what has been the cause for this delay. It is absolutely bizarre um, that these people just don't care. This, this, and I've said this before, in other countries, this would be enough to end several political careers, an incident like this. Um, but here, it is just another day uh, doesn't matter that doesn't get picked up justice delayed um, I mean it, it, it just adds to this growing list of when the state abuses its citizens no one uh, no one even in the most blatant cases um, gets held accountable yeah no exactly right and we've seen so many terrible cases which have ended luckily no one died in this circumstance, um, but we have seen cases where, um, uh, and of course, the, the case of Collins Corsa comes to mind where the um, people affiliated with the police and army killed someone. And to my knowledge, I've not faced <laughs> any serious repercussions for it. Uh, Michael, some final thoughts from you, but I will say that the police spokesperson did assure the public that uh, the investigation, the departmental investigation into this case was at an advanced stage. Yeah, one should hope so. Yeah, I mean, when did this happen? July, if I'm not mistaken. Yes. I mean, that's you know, and it, and it was a high-profile case involving a high pro the, the, the protectors, so-called, of a, a very high-profile politician. You would have thought, you know, if the if the country is really serious about saying, you know, this is we we, we serve the people, we have standards. This is going to be an example that we get to we get to use to demonstrate this. Um, it's so, so quite shocking. The, the one, the only final thought um, is is this very great risk I think of cynicism seeping into society and with it, not without without grounds. People becoming cynical about the political process, uh, about thinking that it's not worth reporting things, it's not worth voting in elections, it's not worth participating in the processes to determine how policing works or to determine which policies are applied because uh, the, the upshot, you know, is going to be the same or it's going to be, it's, they're going to be official indifference. Um, and so I think that is just as a final thought is, is something that always worries me with these sorts of stories. Uh, it's, is that we, we don't see it. It's, it's happening, uh, you know, right across the country in homes, in lounges, in, in shabines where people are watching television or just reading, reading the media. Um, 
in their minds, uh, they're thinking, oh, is this surprising or we don't, you know, it it, 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 it comes as no surprise to people eventually. And, and, and there's that terrible consequence of cynicism creeping into into how we think about uh, ordering our society or reordering it or the hope of, of reforming it. Um, exactly, which is why too much cynicism is the heart and soul of dysfunctional, you know, autocrats, dysfunctional yeah. uh, uh, governance, corrupt governance, because exactly. they rely on you to give up hope, basically. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, and it's and it's an effective tool. It's worked in many countries around the world, so we must guard against it in South Africa. Um, uh, all right, let us move on to our next topic. And this is concerning uh, leader I'm of the EFF, Julius Millet. Sorry, Herman, you're lagging a bit, so I will remove you from the show quickly. Um, let us talk about our last story here. And this is uh, concerning the EFF leader, uh, Julius Malema, who has been in court trying to get his firearms charge thrown out back in 2018. So you know, five years ago, these things take forever. Um, he was filmed uh, on a stage um, being handed a gun by his bodyguard uh, and then uh, firing it into the air, I think it was. Um, he was charged with sort of improperly using a firearm, that kind of thing. And he has attempted to get the case thrown out in an East London magistrate's court. Uh, this was denied. And um, he then proceeded to go out, referred to the judge as incompetent and that her ruling was, quote, a sponsored judgment. However, he did not elaborate on why he says these things. Uh, this has been harshly criticized by a group called Judges Matter, um, who said, therefore, Judges Matter comes out strongly in defense of judicial independence. Left unchallenged, Mr. Malema's comments will send a chilling message to other judicial officers that they should not dare to issue judgments against powerful figures who command a large audience. We call on Mr. Malema to immediately retract and apologize for his unfortunate comments. So while we wait for Herman to come back, Michael, um, mm. What do you what do you make of this? You, you made a really good point in when we were discussing the story before the show. Uh, what are your thoughts on this? Yeah, uh, and I do hope that the chairman comes back because he, he made another very very good run. But essentially, what what we feel is is, is terribly important is that the, the the Ministry of Justice ought to be saying something about this. The Judicial Services Commission ought to be saying something about this. And I think that the point that Herman was making in our chat before was. Uh, this astonishing thing that Malema himself is a member of the Judicial Services Commission. This, these are the, the people who you, you kind of think of as being the custodians of the appointment process. They're keeping an eye out on our behalf for, uh, the, you know, the proper appointments, uh, proper processes being pursued. Um, and, you know, in a case like this, we, 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 nobody has any objection to Julius Malema having a counter opinion or having a comment on how things turn out, but to make claims as he's made, uh, without offering any, uh, without offering any reason for doing so, and to and to and to and to be perfectly content to leave it like that, it simply is a threat. It's simply a threat, a, a bold threat, to a judicial service, a judicial officer, who um, has uh, you know pronounced on on an, an aspect of, of 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 his conduct or his life so it it really is a, a very very disconcerting um disconcerting thing um and we really you know in cases like this want 
uh, the, the, certainly the Minister of Justice, I think it's perfectly within his his purview to make to make a statement about uh, about this kind of threat to uh, a judiciary that he is the custodian of. No, I think that's exactly right. And you know, it's it's one thing to say it about a constitutional court judge, but at least you know, even though in a sense that's I think a more uh, a, a egregious sort of um, offence. A constitutional court judge is kind of much sort of higher in status. They're used to sort of taking some flack. They've got a kind of protection um, uh, that, that that is not afforded to a magistrate who knows now that if they they kind of go forward in the system um, and these these remarks are not rebuked, that this may be curtailing on their career. Um, that this may be, uh, you know, in some cases it could could encourage, uh, you know, EFF supporters maybe might say, well. Maybe this person is a threat to the good order of the country, and so we must, you know, punish them or something like that. You know, like a lone wolf kind of person. It's, it's just poisonous for the it entire is. system. Um, and the, uh, you know, we it, it's kind of bizarre. And this is a this is a recurring theme that I always see um, in the way that uh, the EFF interacts with the law is that it does seem as though the ANC government is very unwilling to put its kind of foot down. You know, there are lots of, in China, let's say, in an authoritarian situation like China, you would, you, you have like corruption charges used as a way to eliminate your political opponents. Um, now, you know, that's not something I encourage. Uh, but it's kind of curious to me that the ANC doesn't. And I think that's because ultimately there are some inside the ANC who are either worried about creating some kind of precedent um, by chasing after these cases ruthlessly. Uh, or alternatively... Um, are, are are thinking of the EFF as you know not something you'd entirely want to dismantle right now because maybe it'll be a future asset. I don't know. That's a bit conspiratorial, more than I would like. But um, Michael, before we move yeah. on, yeah, I mean, I think you know, it, 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 it's precisely the room that's allowed for this kind of speculation, which is which is har harmful. Um, we, 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 we citizens of this country deserve to be put directly in the picture that this is not acceptable behavior from the highest authorities. The highest authorities need to assure us that um, that it's they, they don't accept it. The ruling party even, I mean, you know, there's no reason why the ANC shouldn't be itself uh, saying something about this, but certainly um, certainly the 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 the, uh, the, the justice ministry, uh, which does have uh, a, a direct interest in the system operating optimally and people being respected, and their judicial officers actually being safe. I mean, it comes as you say; it it comes literally down to um, to to the safety of people that we turn to to deliver uh, considered appraisals of right and wrong and criminal activity or innocence, guilt, and so on. Um, critically important to, um, to the nature of the society, the nature of our democracy and our future. And if we, if, we, if we don't take it seriously, we are placing it at risk. It's, very, it's a great shame. Exactly. All right, let's very briefly, quickly uh, go over our very last story for today. Um, I fear Herman will not be able to make it back on time. He said that his internet had fallen over. But... Um, the uh, we've seen a lot of stories in the country. We've covered them on the show about the uh, threats to the fiscus and how uh, the finance ministry, uh, led by Minister Enoch Gorongwana, is very concerned um, that the country is heading for uh, a kind of fiscal disaster. 
and specifically that the popular um, and it seems key to the ANC's uh, re-election campaign, a 350 rand social relief of distress grant may be put at risk if government does not rein in some of its spending right now. Um, so his his uh, ministry put out this um, this paper suggesting that they take drastic steps to rein in costs, including a sharp reduction in spending, a freeze on advertising new appointments, and a call on departments to fund increases for public servants within departmental baselines, um, not to just kind of drain more from the fiscus. Uh, the ANC's National Executive Committee, which is their highest decision-making body outside of the conferences, has met to discuss this report and... Without uh, too much shock, uh, they've kind of sort of rejected it. They said, no, no, we must have uh, cost containment, but not austerity. Now, I'm not entirely sure what that means. It just <laughs> but uh, they, they, uh, they instructed their head of their committee on economic transformation to go away and come back with some suggestions for firstly how the economy can be grown and also more facts on the matter because they felt that uh, they, they weren't properly informed about all of the aspects of this. Um, they did, however, say that there was an acknowledgement that there is a revenue gap. <laughs> um, uh, so, Michael, this is just sort of more spinning tires in the dirt, in the sand kind yeah. of stuff. Yeah, uh, just isn't you know, complete inability to take any sort of decisive action or to really even admit that there's a problem here. Yeah. <laughs> and after all, I mean, uh, revenue gap and uh, what was the other one? Cost containment. It doesn't sound quite so bad as austerity. There's something quite chilling about austerity. <laughs> it sounds like something you don't really want to. It's a cold kitchen. It's a, you know, a thin sheet on under, under, under bed in winter. It's, it's, it's not, it's not a very comforting, uh, comforting place. But yeah, um, that's unfortunately the reality. So it's going to be an interesting, uh, an interesting tussle to see play out. Um, we, the RR, are very uh, firmly engaged in this this battle of ideas, this particular one, um, in the in the report uh, drawn up by our CEO, John Endres, Dr. John Endres, uh, on growth, focusing on growth, which was uh, submitted to the the multi party chartered. Uh, conference quite recently this sets out um exactly what the anc should be looking at they don't need to go off and look at ideas to grow the economy they can simply look at the irs document it's not expensive it's relatively easily done uh the country simply has to decide to do it um and that's really what what we what we'd be hoping for but yeah it's going to be an important uh, debate between now and the election interesting to see who uh, you know, what kind of arguments come out of the ANC and Treasury. Exactly. Mm. Um, <clears throat> I, I just kind of love this bit where they say, where the, the, the head of the Economic Transformation Committee says that um, the NEC expects a comprehensive report on how to grow the economy and improve state revenue. It's yeah. like, why didn't anyone think of this before? Does this, <laughs> yeah. does this suddenly become, oh, gosh, the economy hasn't been growing for like 10 mm. years, guys. Maybe we should do something mm. about that. I mean, <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> It's only uh, one of yeah. the most written about subjects in the public space. Um, but no, the NEC needs its own report right now from its Economic Transformation Committee. It does make one wonder what the Economic Transformation Committee does uh, if it's not even talking, huh. if it's never talked about a growth <laughs> strategy for the ANC. Uh, yeah. uh, anyway, that is all the time we have for today. So we hope that you found this show interesting. We will be back, of course, tomorrow with the Daily Frame Wrap. Thank you very much, everyone, and have a wonderful afternoon. Cheers.